Good morning. Welcome to Morning Matters at 10. My name is Paul Meyer. I'll be your host today. Morning Matters at 10 is part of the Acts 17 Accord, a ministry called to prepare God's people to, li- to live righteous, spirit-filled lives to the end of the age. We're going to continue talking about the greatest lie ever told. Is the earth billions and billions of years old? 4.5, the universe 13.79 billion years old. Anyway, today we're going to talk about really there's three ideas with it. One is there's conflicting paradigm. Now, paradigm is just a worldview. You know, it's how you how you look at the data. You know, you can see the data from a natural perspective, from a supernatural perspective. I mean, the earth is here. Uh, a, a naturalistic perspective would say, well, it all happened naturally. A, a supernatural paradigm would say it happened from a supernatural source. So those are different paradigms and ways of looking at it. And with that, and really going right along with it, is the idea of opposing presuppositions. There are very different presuppositions about the universe. Again, the same thing. It was created or it was not created, or we don't know. Those are, those are suppositions that you hold. If you hold that there is no supernatural, then you believe that God couldn't exist. And God didn't do it. If you believe that God exists, then your supposition is that God could do this. One of the other big important issues is the idea of skepticism. And uh, let me just show you these things here. Skepticism is the idea that from a scientific perspective, well, we're skeptics. You know, we're going to, you know, we're the real thinkers. And this is kind of how science really mocks Christianity or religions because they think religions aren't skeptics at all. Well, I have my own skeptics, skepticism. I've been a skeptic my life in some senses. Even though I believe in a creator, I still have had to examine every belief I have. I don't have any beliefs. I don't have any beliefs that are not based on my own thought having worked through. Well, what about this? What about that? And so everything that I want to say to you is a thought is something that came out of my own kind of skepticism it's there's there's a way you can be a skeptic and i this is from a, a book from dennis prager and he's he's having a conversation with uh alan dershowitz now you may have heard of both of those individuals pretty famous people um uh, one um they're talking about is the is the is the torah the first five books of the bible is the torah divine in other words was it divine authorship um and, and Dennis Prager says this, when you say this part is divine, but that part, that one isn't, you become your own Torah. And as I put in a number of public dialogues, as I have, as I put it in a number of public dialogues with the Jewish secular scholar, Professor Alan Dershowitz of Harvard Law School, he says this, I think I can sum up our basic differences this way. When Professor Dershowitz, 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 differs with the Torah. He thinks the Torah is wrong, and he is right. When I differ with the Torah, I think the Torah is right, and I am wrong. And Professor Dershowitz agreed with that summary. So the point of it is, it's how you come, what's your perspective? What's your supposition? I believe the Bible is the Word of God. So if I see a conflict in the Word of God, I'm going, oh, no, I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to say, well, how do I resolve that conflict? I must misunderstand the Bible or the Torah, even in the case of the first five books of the Bible, which I believe are God's word as well. The point of it is I have a supposition that makes me want to believe rather than the one that makes me want to reject. Now, that doesn't mean I don't look at the evidence, but, it, you know, that's that's how this goes. That's that's our skepticism. And yes, we need to be skeptics, skeptics. But look, I believe God exists, and I believe God is good, and I believe God is a judge. 
So I believe if God is a judge and he's going to judge our actions and he must tell us what the basis for that judgment is. And so I think he had to communicate to mankind. And I think the best source of that is through the Bible. Now, that's a whole nother discussion, which we will do sometime. And I'll explain to you why I really do believe in the Bible. But the point of it is God has it's like if God's a judge and he doesn't tell us what he's going to judge us on, then he's not good. In other words, a science teacher, you know, your last final, your last year of college, and it's going to affect where you get a job and everything else. And he comes in on the day of the test and he gives you a test on on medieval uh, um, literature (laughs) and you studied everything about science. That would not be a good teacher. So for God to not tell us the basis for his judgments of us then he would not be good. Now, some people think he's not going to judge. Well, you judge, everyone judges, God is going to judge. I guarantee you that. And you want to be judged. You just want to do a good job. When you take a test, you're getting judged. You want to get an A. All right? Okay, so we're, we're talking about what's happened in history. Now, there's two significant events, and I went through this last time. I'll try to go through it rather quickly. The first began to cause doubt among scientists. Now, almost every scientist originally from Isaac Newton to Galileo to um, <laughs> Michelangelo, they were all Christians. They all believed in the Bible. They all believed in a young earth. They all believed in the, in the global flood. They all believed that. Those were common beliefs for most of, most of the 400 years since science began, uh, around the time with Galileo, or actually with um, Michelangelo was the first. point of it is they were all believers. Everyone was. Now, there's been believers throughout the entire history of science, and there are now. There's many strong scientists that are also godly believers who believe in the Bible and believe in a young earth. They have great works that they've done. There's lots of books written. There's lots of evidence, videos, things that they've done. There's tons of material out there. So you think the idea that these guys are just ignorant fools, well, you just don't know what they believe, and you're, you just don't know. You haven't looked into it, and you need to look into it. But, so anyway, these two events took place in history. The first left us with doubt. It didn't erode faith completely, but it left us with doubt. And that was the, the issue that took place between Galileo and Copernicus. Now, what happened was Copernicus, in 1543, uh, he published on the revolutions of the heavenly spheres. He concluded that the earth was not the center of the universe, as the church and all scientists believe, rather that the sun was. So this was, this was, this was his belief, all right? Now, it was, this was a radical belief. This was not something that anyone held to, and it was not handled well. In fact, Galileo, you know, he began to doubt. He didn't begin to doubt the scriptures, but he was punished in this process. Galileo supported Copernicus. The result of this conflict led Galileo to conclude. Well, before that, what happened to him is he was put under house arrest, and the Catholic Church totally mishandled the whole situation. Instead of saying, well, let's keep looking at this, you know, they overreacted and said, oh, it's a, t- it's a contradiction to the scriptures, therefore it's evil, right? So the truth is, is that the Bible really doesn't teach that the earth is the center of the universe. There's some verses are that the sun revolves around the this earth. It probably, it doesn't really teach either, but... 
you can fit it. And the issue is what does science say? It's not a big biblical teaching that the earth is the center of the universe. Although I think mankind is the center of God's creation and the earth in that sense. But it doesn't mean it's the center of the actual physical universe and everything that happens happens around the earth. So anyway, it was a conflict that was really probably not all that necessary. But anyway, you know, Galileo, Galileo developed this two-book belief system that, uh, that, that nature was on the par with the scriptures. Uh, he viewed scientific descriptions in the Bible as not important particularly. He still believed they were from God, but most people couldn't understand them. And this led to the belief of two, of two books of God. And this was really made famous... Um, by a man named Thomas Brown. He said, there are two books from which I collect my view of God, besides the one written by God, in other words, the Bible, another of his servant, Nature, that universal and public manuscript that lies for everyone to see, right? Well, basically, sounds great, right? We have nature. Now, we all believe it. This is common. Every evangelical Christian believes in natural revelation, and we believe in supernatural revelation. Supernatural revelation is the scriptures written by God, given to us. Nature is natural revelation. We can see the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hand. So that's natural revelation. We believe in that. The problem is with this two-book idea is, is what it really did is that it caused there to be, it caused science to become equivalent with nature or natural revelation so that it's not that natural revelation isn't from God, but science. So whatever science said began to be on an equal with the scriptures. Right. And the truth is, is that it's not the same thing. Science is not natural revelation. Science is a man's interpretation or a group of men's interpretation of natural revelation. They're not the same. Now, science may be right. And they may something that say something that reflects natural revelation, then it would be it would be good. It would be from God. But it doesn't mean that everything science says. But that's really that's really what began to happen is that um, that science began to be treated as the scriptures, scientists. And so that it began to doubt. And you can see the the, the strong belief of the original scientists and to the next generation were a little less strong on the scriptures. They had a lower view of the scriptures. And of course, this, this happened with a man named James Hutton. He was the one that brought to us the rejection of the scriptures. It was his philosophies that began this. And there were, there were four men who affected Christianity and all scientific, it affected the entire world belief system. That's why I say it's the greatest lie, greatest in, in dimension and effect and how many people's lives affected. James Hutton, he was a Scottish farmer and a naturalist. He was known as the founder of modern geology. He was a great observer of the world around him. This is how they write about him. He was a great observer. Well, he's the only one? No, but he was great because he came up with a view that it contradicted the scriptures. More importantly, he made carefully reasoned geological arguments. No, he didn't. He did not make carefully reasoned. What he did was he made careful reasoned assumptions based on his belief system that the Bible and what was believed at that time about geology was wrong. He came to believe that the earth was perpetually being formed, for example. Molten material is forced up into mountains, eroded, and then eroded sediments are washed away. He says the history of the earth could be determined by understanding how processes such as erosion and sedimentation work in the present day. His ideas and approach to studying the earth established geology, right? So this was what geology was on. But it's not the whole basis for geology. There are many other geologists that completely disagreed with this. There were books written that contradicted what he said. But 
right time, right place. The right lie told at the right time becomes truth. Hutton concluded it is that Hutton concluded we find no vestige of a beginning, no prospect of an end when it comes to the earth. It's always been here. And it's just slowly, gradually, the mountains rose slowly. So when they tell you this mountain is two million years old, it's because they believe in this slow, gradual process. And we'll talk more about that as we get in further. Um, in the late 18th century, when Hutton was examining the rocks, it was generally believed that the earth had come into creation only 6,000 years before. James Usher gave a specific date for that. He was a, a true scientist. He, had, he believed that fossils were the remains of animals that had perished during the biblical flood. Huh. Well, they still believe that. So does geology, does Hutton's view right and, and Usher's wrong? No, it depends on what you believe. Well, who has the power? Who has the words? Who speaks it out? And, and well, how many people you can get to, to talk and say your story? You know, uh, As for the structure of the earth, they, natural philosophers, naturalistic philosophers, agree that much bedrock consists of long parallel layers which occurred at various angles and that sediments deposited by water were compressed to form stone. Well, that part's true in some part. It's a matter of how fast it happened. Hutton perceived that this sedimentation takes place so slowly that even the oldest rocks are made up of, in his words, materials furnished from the ruins of former continents. Well, all of that's true. It's just the speed that's the issue. It's the speed. That's the key thing. The reverse process occurs when rock exposed to the atmosphere erodes and decays. He called the coupling of destruction and renewal this great geological cycle. And he believed that it had been, and now here's what they say, and, they, and realized that it had been completed innumer, innumerable times. The writer says that. They don't know that. That's not true. That's not a fact. That's his belief. They can't prove that it happened millions of times. They believe that. It's a natural belief based on their assumptions. And I believe assumptions that are wrong based on what we know about science today and what they've come up with. So what happens? Sir Charles Lyell. Who was Charles Lyell? Well, he was a geologist, but he was also a lawyer. And he, you know, Hutton was not that great of a communicator. Lyell was a better communicator. So Lyell began to take Hutton's beliefs and spread them around. <clears throat> Charles, Charles Lyell was anti-scripture and anti-Christian. He was intent on undermining the Genesis record and the role it played in geology. This was his specific intention was to undermine the Christian faith. He says it. In his private correspondence, Lyell wrote in a letter to a fellow old earth geologist, I trust I shall make my sketch of the progress of geology popular. Popular. In other words, what I've come to say, I'm going to make it popular. And he says, old Reverend John Fleming is frightened and thinks the age will not stand my anti-mosaical conclusions, and at least that the subject will for a time become unpopular and awkward for the clergy. But I am not afraid. I shall out with the whole, but in a conciliatory manner as possible. In other words, I'll be really nice and kind about it. When I say these things, I'll say that in such a way that they won't Rejected. He says, if we don't irritate, which I fear that we may, though through mere history, we shall carry all with us. In other words, everyone's going to believe. They're going to follow me. I'm going to be so nice and kind and genteel about it. They'll never question it because they can't question how kind I am. See, first of all, understand that these people they were convincing had already doubted the scriptures. They already doubted the biblical record. 
They already were rejecting the flood. They were already rejecting the geology that the earth, that Usher held to, and all of these men held to for centuries. They were beginning to doubt that because of Galileo and Copernicus. If you don't triumph over them, but compliment the liberality and candor of the present age. In other words, if you don't push it in their face, the bishops and enlightened saints will join us in despising both the ancient and modern physiotheologians. They will join us because we're going to be really nice about it. And we're going to present it in such a way that because of what happened with Galileo and Copernicus, they don't say that, but that's the fact. They're going to accept it. And he says this, this is a true thing. It is just the time to strike. So rejoice that sinner as you are, the world is open to you. Basically, he said, it's going to happen. And he prophesied this. He said, this is what's going to take place. So Lyell was the key person. Lyell set the stage. He did it intentionally. His specific belief system was that the Bible is not the word of God, that Christianity is not true. He wasn't an atheist, but he was a naturalist. And he might have been a deist of some form because they weren't wasn't really cool to be an atheist right then. It is today, but he wasn't. But he opened this door to Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin said this, I owe everything to Charles Lyell. Here, let me show you this here. When Lyell died in 1875, Darwin said, I never forgot that almost everything which I have done in science, I owe to the study of his great works. And the science of geology is enormously indebted to Lyell, more so, as I believe, than to any other man who ever lived. So what he's saying, and look at it, at one point, Charles Darwin claimed to be a Christian. At one point, some people believe he came back to the Lord. I don't know, but... The point of it is he claimed he even studied divinity. He believed in God, but he rejected it. His dad, however, was an evolutionist. His dad was someone that really developed his theories, and he copied them and developed them and became famous for them. But his dad had already written a book on, on some of this stuff. He already believed it. So people were already all over the world. People were doubting the scriptures, right? And again, that's part of the problem when, when you have the church and government as one and people, you know, they reject the government and they reject the church and they, you know, church wasn't being the church, it was being a government, it's not a job. That's my belief. And I'm not saying it shouldn't influence, but we're not to run things. I never believe that. Charles Darwin answered a straightforward question concerning his belief in God and the Bible. The question centered on whether reading his books would affect his faith in Christianity. So a young man wrote him a letter saying, hey, well, I lose my faith if I, if I follow your books. He says this, this is Darwin. I am sorry to have to inform you that I do not believe in the Bible as a divine revelation and therefore not in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So it was based on his beliefs about naturalism and his beliefs about uniformity and all of the things that were coming out of Lyell or Hutton and Lyell and others, but they were the primary ones. As, as Lyell said, hey, it's time to strike. This is it. He knew that. The devil knew that. And he, it was demonic, and when he struck it, it had a tremendous effect. Obviously, Darwin's faith was directly undermined by this philosophy, but he was the first of millions who have lost their faith by accepting the lie of an old earth. And even Darwinianism. I mean, Darwin believes that everything came from one source. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's his understanding, his perception, right? But the commonness and common features between creatures does not mean that they all came from one source. They came from one creator. So similarity of design does not mean different designers. It means there's just one designer. DNA goes through everything. The little changes are significant. 
because that's because God's so smart and the DNA is so amazing. All right, so finally on the, on the feet, at the foot of Darwin came Julius Wellhausen. Now, Julius Wellhausen was a theologian, German theologian. He was not just a skeptic. He was a rejecter of the Christian faith. He did not believe it was supernatural. Uh, he popularized the, popularized the anti-Mosaic authorship of the Torah. Wellhausen was responsible preventing, for presenting the faith as an anti-supernatural religion with made-up stories. That's, that's, that's who Julius Wellhausen was. He opened the door for all historical and, and uh, criticism of the scriptures, which has been going on ever since. Um, they have undermined the scriptures in so many ways. You know, they used to argue about whether it was smallest seed that Jesus said, well, there were other seeds smaller. And, you know, I mean, people wrote books and rejected the Bible over these things. And they were always looking for questions. These are, see, these are skeptics who didn't believe in the Bible. And so, therefore, let's see if we can resolve the conflict. Because God loves to resolve conflicts. He said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I shall make them white as snow. He said, come, we can figure it out with me. Talk to me. We can figure it out. There are no problems in the Bible that I have found that can't be resolved. And maybe one or two that aren't, aren't really all that important, but we may not know. We don't have to know everything to believe in it. I don't have to know everything to believe in the Bible, but every, every attack from science, I believe, has been, has been adequately responded to over the last 200 years. So basically, Hutton opened the door for Lyell. Lyell, the door for Darwin, and Darwin, the door for Wellhausen. Wellhausen was an evolutionist. He believed in Darwin. Together, these men successfully undermined the Genesis record of creation, which led to many European Christians losing their faith and the disastrous effect it has had on popular culture forward. The lack, the loss of the scriptures has totally changed our nation, America, and the Western world entirely. If Europe, Europe was first. The world is lost. It's a mess. They don't know. <laughs> They're lost. Because that was the foundation. And it literally was, we'll talk in a minute whether the old earth is true. Is there scientific evidence, scientific evidence or But the fact of the matter, but this intentional did causing the doubt with Copernicus and then the leaving the faith, rejecting the faith, leads us to Dawkins, Hawkins, Sagan, any number of... You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Kaku, everyone who maybe believes in God, maybe believes in God of order, but they don't believe in the God of the Bible because they rejected it. And I understand that you need to understand this. It was intentional. It wasn't just long ages of time or just, you know, scientific getting science, getting it, you know, getting a foothold. It was the undermining of the scriptures. It was what they intended to do was to undermine the scripture. And they have done that entirely. And it's all based on a lie. It wasn't based on facts. There was no f evidence, factual evidence, that Hutton was right about slow erosion in deposits. I mean, it might have been going on, but it did, he could not prove that that had been going on over and over for millions of years. In fact, the evidence today suggests very different. The layers of rock in the Grand Canyon are laid down flat, as if they almost happened almost simultaneously. Certainly within a short period of time, there's no evidence of bugging intrusion, the, the layer being the layer above being ripped apart. It just happened quickly from the flood. And there's lots of evidence for that. And I suggest that you watch his Genesis history. So this is, this is what happened. Um, so where do we go from here? Well, let's look at this.
Charles Lyell predicted that he could convince biblical scholars to buy into the lie of uniformitarian old earth geology. And he was right. He did. The Christians screwed up, in my opinion. They bought into it. However, we forget the Apostle Paul prophesied. He predicted almost 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago, that Charles Lyell and men like him would one day teach the very lies that he'd spread. So God knew this was going to happen, and he prophesied about it. Let's read what God said. He said, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Right? That, to me, it directly depicts every one of these men. They were scoffers. They rejected the Bible. Let me tell you something. If you reject the word of God, now maybe you sincerely don't know, but if you ever look at the word of God and decide whether it's true or not, well, if you, just, if you don't, I, I, look, you better study it because I can guarantee you that the Bible is very solid and it's historical, archaeological, Every aspect of it's true. All that it says is true. Everything has an explanation. I mentioned that before. But I believe the Bible's the Word of God, not just because my daddy told me so. No, I studied it myself. I looked at all of the different conflicting things and came to the conclusion that it's real. And I think if you honestly look at it, you'll come to the same. They will say, where is his coming? He promised. Okay. Where is God? Since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And I believe he's talking about the doctrine of uniformity. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget. Listen, this is deliberate. This is intentional. Lyle said, we will get the Bible out of the way. Oh, but I'm going to be real nice about it. I'm going to be sweet and kind. And they're just going to go, oh, he's such a good guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I just believe him. That was because, again, the history. They were doubting already now. They had a stronger reason to even reject it. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. God supernaturally created the universe. That's what they forget. In my book, The Challenge of Evolution, I talk about, first of all, does God exist? Not how did he make the universe. How he made the universe is not nearly as relevant initially as does God exist. Because if you don't believe in a creator, you're not going to believe in a supernatural or if a creator that's involved, you won't believe in supernatural creation. You're going to have that supposition, that precept belief that says it has to be a natural process. Why do they believe so committedly that, that it's the Big Bang that happened, that the Big Bang is the key, or evolution is true? I mean, they speak as if these things are fact. They're not facts. They're facts in your mind because your mind is distorted. You don't understand your suppositions. You've rejected the supernatural, so you're left with only one process. You have to try to figure out yourself how it could have possibly happened without a God. That's the point of it, is there wasn't a God in their mind. Even if they believed in a God somewhere, they didn't believe that he organized and structured it all and caused it all. They want to try to explain it from a natural process. They deliberately forget. By God's word, the heavens came into being, the earth was formed out of water and by water. The exact opposite of what science says with the Big Bang. It wasn't created out of it wasn't a hot, fiery ball. It was created out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. They rejected the flood. It's one of the key things. He said they will reject the flood. They specifically rejected the flood. That's what they did. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Look, at what's the point of the flood? If you don't believe in the flood, you don't believe that God judged the world and destroyed the world at that time. 
So you're rejecting judgment. You're rejecting that there was a supernatural flood that had wiped out people that were disobeying, who were utterly corrupt, had become utterly corrupt. People are just as utterly corrupt today, and there's a day of judgment coming, and I'm telling you, it's coming. When you reject the flood, you reject the future judgment because you don't accept the fact that God judged the world in the past. 2 Peter 3, 3-7, this, this is the prophecy. This prophecy is significant. This prophecy really does matter. Now, basically, Peter prophesied about four things. Number one, uniformity. He's basically saying all geological processes have always been the same. Radiometric decay has always been at the same rate, right? So they believe if they find, you know, a, a rock and there's mother and daughter items, uh, um, mother and daughter atoms here, like the mother atoms, the mother atoms came from uh, were the original and the daughter ones are you know, what decayed. So the uranium to lead, they believe that it decayed to that. So they find them there and they assume that because there's daughter atoms, or daughter, sorry, mm. daughter atoms there, they were once uh, uranium and they decayed. So then they assume, based on maybe 100 years of study, that, uh, that this decay rate has been the same for 4.5 billion years old. They don't know that. That's a pure yes. Yeah, 4.5 billion years of worth of time, which you have to assume. Science is not supposed to assume. They assume that it happened for 4.5 billion years. That's why they use the rocks from space, because they think those are better, <laughs> because they don't trust the rocks on Earth, because something could have happened to them. Well, something could have happened to the rocks on Earth. The point of it is they believe it's always been the same, and that's how they come up with the date. They say, oh, this decayed this little tiny bit for this much, therefore it does it forever. Uh, same thing with erosion and uplift. I've seen mountains in California. They have the sign. This was created two million years ago or five million years ago because of that tiny bit of growth every year. Tiny bit of growth. Um, the movement of plate tectonics is a great example of this. Plate tectonics, they say it's moving like an eighth of an inch a year. So what do they do? They take an eighth of an inch today and they say, well, we believe it started here, which they don't know exactly where it started, but let's assume they're right. That the earth was once a Pangea. I believe that. There was all one landmass. And so they say, well, for it to get to here to here at an eighth of an inch near, it would have taken four million years or five million, however many. It doesn't matter. Put the number in there. You can do the math. I don't care for the math. It does, I mean, I'm saying it's important. I'm just saying I don't, I'm not going to do the math. But the point of it is it's an assumption. They're making an assumption. And I believe this, this is the clearest example I can show you of, of what an assumption is. Right? First of all, you have to explain to me how a planet, how a, how a mantle, how the Earth, or how a continent, you have to explain how does a continent break apart? How does that happen? What does it take? I'm telling you, it takes massive force, massive power. The Bible teaches, talks about during the flood, the fountains of the Earth breaking open. And I believe they broke open, the water came out and the lava flow, and that's why we have massive mountains, bigger than Mount Everest in the, mount, in, the, in the ocean, and huge, huge, deep caverns and valleys below, created by the geological activity, by the, um, by the um, volcanic activity at that time. And I believe that's the, what broke the continents apart. But here's the question you have to say. That tremendous power. So if I put a person on a pair of roller skates... And we're in a skating rink, roller skating rink, and they're on one end, and I push them 
forward, right? I push them across the thing, and they don't do anything but just roll. Now, when they go, when they begin, are they rolling faster than they are at the end? Of course they are, because it'll slow down over this time. What we see today, when you see that eighth of an inch, that's the end of what happened at the flood. The flood was the beginning, and the mountains were created rapidly, rapid, you know, sub, I remember the quite term for it, but when one, the plate goes under the other and the mountains rise up, we know that because you have, you know, fish fossils of all sorts on the top of high mountains like Mount Everest. These things happen quickly. Fossils don't happen fast. Our fa fossils happen fast. They don't happen slowly. If it lays out on the ground, it just rots. So this took place quickly. So that's the idea. So it started fast and it's slow. So what we see today, when we're dating today, when we're looking at things today, we're dating what we assumed was in all the time. But that's not true. Something broke them apart. And what we see today is the very end of movement, not the beginning of movement. Naturalism, second thing he taught. This is a belief that there is no supernatural involvement with the process of creation. In other words, God is not to be considered in the, far, in the understanding of the creative process. So they're not looking for God. They're only looking for a natural explanation. As I said, that's why they believe in the Big Bang, because somehow they've tried to figure out how we can... Okay, we've got the four forces, strong and weak nuclear force. We've got... Um, you know, we've got gravity and then we have electromagnetism and all these things come together and they exploded and became the Big Bang. And that happened. Well, even if that were true, again, it is that's a process. It's not a cause. Something had to put those four forces together and everything else. Something had to be behind it. It's irrational to believe that happened on its own. But that's what naturalism does because they can't acknowledge a creator. If they acknowledge a creator, they think they're gotten out of science. Well, they have. Because science can't do, they can never, ever, ever, no matter what they do, they will never prove how the earth was actually created. Because they weren't there. Even if it happened again, it wouldn't prove it happened that way the first time. That's, that's the assumptions of naturalism. At the same time, what that leads to is anti-supernaturalism. Richard Dawkins says, I don't believe in anything supernatural. Okay, well, what do you mean by supernatural? The creation of the world was done supernaturally. Matter had to come into existence. And it wasn't just a natural process. That's supernatural, but they don't believe in any miracles. They don't believe in anything. They utterly reject anything miraculous, which is why they reject the Bible, because they don't believe in the supernatural. That's why they... It's not that they... It couldn't have happened. It could, not that it couldn't be true. They just don't believe it did because they don't believe in the supernatural. Their assumptions say... Their assumptions say that it can't happen that way. Because they have decided, this is their presupposition, there is nothing supernatural, therefore, it couldn't have happened that way. That's what they believe. Everything is the no natural process. And then finally, the fourth thing they prophesied, there's actually a fifth, but the fourth is anti-catastrophism, the rejection of the global flood. And I talked about this earlier, but it is still a common belief today. Excuse me one second. The rejection of the global flood was, flood was immediate, right? Today, I, mean, I read an article a few weeks ago about this massive mountain in India that they believe was caused by a huge flood. And what happens in these floods, it's like what happened at Mount St. Helens. You know, all of this stuff happens, and the, the water gets trapped in like a lake. And this is what happened with the Grand Canyon, this huge, massive lake. 
didn't happen at the same time that the flood, like the global flood was, was a year long in its process and longer, took probably two or three years for, all, maybe longer for all of the things to take place that shaped the, the, the geology of the earth. But they, then they believed, and they believe now, they know there was this great flood that washed out this huge canyon. But he specifically says, well, we don't believe in a global flood. That didn't happen globally. Well, why not? Because you've already rejected it. You can't see. When you reject the truth, you can't see it. And you can't go back to it. It's hard. It's embarrassing for science to go back and say, eh, maybe there was a global flood. Even though that fits the evidence really well, it couldn't have been a global flood because we rejected that. That's what they've done. Eventually, eventually they, initially, they rejected all catastrophes. But over time, they couldn't get away from There's so many evidences of catastrophe on the earth. So what did they do? They, you know, eventually could not deny the obvious signs of extreme conditions on the earth and decided to accept catastrophes, any other than a global flood. Giant meteors destroyed the dinosaurs and other theories. Of course, they never returned to the best option of global flood, as the scriptures teach. I mean, basically... <laughs> You know, basically, this, this is what they did. So in, in these assumptions, this is why it's, look, at you have to look at the age of the earth. You have to look at all that science says in the basis of the lies that they have produced. The things that they're saying were facts. And they came with assumptions and paradigms that were just false. They never knew the earth was old. They didn't know that was an assumption based on their observation. Well, you're not the only one observing and you're not the only one that knows things. You're not the only skeptic. You're not the only one that looks at, at different aspects of, of the world. This is the foundation of this whole lie. It was intentional and when it's deceptive. So the question remains is this, and this is an honest question. Despite the clear deception, the bias, and faulty assumptions of Hutton and Lyle, is the earth billions of years old? Has science proven without a doubt that the earth and universe were formed in deep time? If it is a fact, then rationalizing reading deep time into biblical texts may be the only option left. Well, I don't believe science has proved that. I don't think they can prove it. I think there are many assumptions in it that are untrue. I'm not going to get into them today, but next week we'll go through some of their assumptions and try to demonstrate why I believe that the earth is not old. Um, there are actually a great deal of it. There's actually a great deal of evidence that the earth is young, just as much as there is that it's old. Again, it's your paradigm. It's how you look at it. It's your presupposition. It's how you interpret that and the kind of skepticism that you approach it with. So if you have a wrong paradigm and wrong suppositions and you want to prove the Bible wrong, then you can probably find a way to do that. But that doesn't mean that you found the truth. It just means that you're, that you're in my opinion, that you're deceived. All right. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you've enjoyed this. Please like, subscribe, and follow. And uh, we'll talk to you next week at 10 o'clock.